that make an impact in their own life and their community. And that each person knows and experiences the powerful love of God. Will you partner with us? Together we take people from desperation and give them hope. Church, can we welcome Matt and Cheryl Tallman this morning? Well, thank you, Pastor Brent. It's good to be uh, back home. Uh, This, back in the 90s, this was my home church. And, uh, but I see a lot of new faces. So uh, excited to be back here at uh, New Life Center. And, um, you know, um, I I moved here uh, in, I think, 1989 and uh, 1990. And I became a Chi Alpha campus ministry director at the University of Oregon for almost 10 years. And, um, but about 15 years ago, my wife and I moved uh, to Eldorette, Kenya and um, helped start Open Arms Village. So I think um, the next slide actually shows you a really good visual glimpse of our village. We have 10 children's homes. We have 161 children that call our village home. Uh, we have um, a school as well with uh, 365 students enrolled. We have a medical clinic and outreach center. And in the picture, you also see, oh, the preceding picture, you also see some guest lodges where you can come and visit our village. I just might add, uh, and we love visitors, we love teams uh, as an added incentive. Um, Today it is 72 degrees. That's the high temperature in Eldoret, Kenya. In fact, that is the high temperature every day of the year, just about, in Eldoret. So while you're freezing in the winter, come and warm up in Eldoret, Kenya. While you're broiling right now in the summer, come and cool down in Eldoret. Um, the next picture does show you a picture of one of our children's homes. This, was, this one is led by Tom and Emmy Okiello. They are amazing house parents. They've been there pretty much from the beginning. Uh, they have 18 children. This is our largest home. Uh, two are their biological children, and they have 16 from the community. But they are amazing house parents, and um, we love them dearly. Uh, the next picture shows you a little bit of, of a glimpse of part of our ministry is to help rescue babies in our community uh, that are abandoned for a whole variety of reasons. And um, we're the only ministry in our whole region of Kenya that has the capacity to care for babies. So really, we don't have the option to say no. And uh, every, every month, we get a call. Generally, we just got a call a week or so ago for a young baby named Joseph. Uh, just before that, uh, we, uh, a uh, neighboring teacher in a neighboring school found that baby abandoned and left for dead in a pit latrine. And that baby was rescued. That baby is now thriving, doing well in our village. Uh, there's a picture there of seven babies that we all got just before the pandemic. We all got uh, we got seven calls within the span of a week and a half. That's the largest influx of babies we've had. Um, but if you want to find out more about that, we do have an information table in the back as well that'll give you more information about our babies, our children, how you can help them. Uh, Our ministry has recently expanded through a new partnership. We also have an outreach now uh, that is extending into Romania. 
and six other countries. But in Romania, we have a, a couple children's homes, a, a after-school Christian education program. And because of the circumstances going on in Romania right now, we're also beginning to help the enormous influx of Ukrainian children and uh, families that are refugees, uh, millions of them coming to Romania right now. So uh, if you'd like to come to Romania next year, we are actually sending a team to Romania and several teams to Kenya. Uh, but, uh, uh, and, and I think the next picture does show one of the classrooms in our after-school program. The next uh, slide shows a QRC code where you can sign up for our newsletters and get more regular information about how to pray for us. So it sounds like most of you are actually familiar with what a QR code is. So if you have a smartphone and you want to get signed up for our newsletter, you can do that right now or you can choose to do it old school. And, uh, but uh, if you want to save a tree, uh, just sign up right now. So um, I do want to, oh, and by the way, please everyone get, grab our latest newsletter so you can be informed and know how to pray for us. And everyone without exception, if you can grab a prayer card, and pray for us. Because honestly, that is the most powerful, effective thing you could ever, ever possibly be doing for us. So please, everyone grab a prayer card. But um, I do want to take my uh, remaining moments today just to share a little bit from God's word uh, from 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, 1 Kings chapter 19, you, you're probably, most of you, are familiar with who Elijah the prophet was. And um, you're probably even more familiar with the events that took place in the preceding chapter, in chapter 18. Uh, he provides the people of Israel with a choice. Who are you going to worship today? Are you going to continue worshiping the prophets, the God, the false god, Baal, or are you going to bow down and worship the, the one true God of the universe. And uh, he presents this challenge and hundreds of prophets of Baal uh, come to this challenge and he says, the God who answers with fire today will be the true God. And of course, the prophets of Baal set up their altar and they cry out to their God and, and, uh, and nothing happens. And he put, uh, carefully uh, puts together an altar to God. And God answers with fire. It's an amazing supernatural story of God's supernatural presence intervening in this situation and pointing the people of Israel to God. But the part of the story I relate to even more is what happens next in chapter 19. And I think there are a few lessons that maybe we can all learn from chapter 19. And, and I think the first lesson is this. Never forget that God still does miracles. Right. Never forget. I am sure if I were to interview everyone in this room, in fact, I know that there are some living, walking, breathing miracles of God in this room right now. Never forget that God still does miracles. Sometimes it's... it's it's easy to forget when we're facing adverse or difficult circumstances. Sometimes it's, it's easy to forget what God has miraculously done to assist us in the past. 
And this is exactly what happened in, in uh, Elijah's life. He had just seen God do an amazing supernatural miracle, answering with fire, convincing all the people of Israel to worship God. And right after that, he ran away feeling all alone, isolated, and in fear for his own life. It seems like a, a huge, uh, you know, comparison that, or a huge, uh, like one day it's like night and day in the sense that one day he's just reveling in the miracles of God and the next day he feels all alone and discouraged. Never forget that God still does miracles. Uh, this picture here uh, took place. You just did uh, a sports camp and a, or a BBS style outreach for the community for younger children, and uh, we do we do those in Kenya as well. And and about five or six years ago, we were doing an outreach, and we had about 250 young people from our village and from our community join us for an outreach. And we were trying to convey the story of Jesus and the miracle of the loaves and fishes. And we had brought thousands of colorful balloons with us. You can see our children wearing those balloons on their head. Well, first, we blew up about 3,000 colorful balloons in the shape of a fish. And then we blew up about 3,000 plain brown balloons in the shape of a loaf of bread. And uh, we placed them carefully in some blankets and bed sheets in the rafters of the building we were meeting in. And we tied them up carefully uh, with string. And, and uh, so we asked the person uh, playing the part of Jesus uh, to, uh, we asked a, a young man in the group, to ha we handed him a piece of balloon fish and a piece of balloon bread, and we handed, asked this young man to hand it to, to the person playing the part of Jesus. And at the appropriate moment, um, when uh, he was finishing his prayer, uh, somebody cut the string holding up these thousands of balloons. It, we actually planned it that way. But what happened next was uh, pandemonium for the next 30 minutes. I mean, hundreds of children were giggling and, and laughing and grabbing as many balloons as they could possibly grab. And they were having so much fun. You know, finally it calmed down to a dull roar. And I, and I was hoping they actually understood the lesson that day. So I asked them, you know, what was the main point of that story? And this little girl named Beatrice, about 11 years old at this point, 10 years old, she stood up in the middle of the group and she said, Jesus does miracles. And I said, yes, they understood it. They got it. It was so awesome. But I also knew the backstory of that young girl. She was the very first girl that Cheryl and I met when we came to Open Arms Village. She was only three years old at that time. And she came up to Cheryl and she gave her a hug and she wouldn't let go. It was a beautiful moment. But it was only about six months later that we began to understand the story that brought her to our village. When she, um, there was a documentary uh, produced by HBO about the children, the street children of Eldoret, Kenya. And it focused on, uh, sadly, the addiction that is most common in developing nations, 
which is actually sniffing glue because it's cheap, it's accessible, and it helps you forget your hunger pains. But it also slowly destroys your brain. And at the very beginning of this video, you see a little two-year-old girl, malnourished, dirty, being handed a bottle of glue to help her forget her hunger. When you look a little closer, you realize that was Beatrice. But through a miraculous set of circumstances, at the age of three, she came to our village, she found a home. And now she is 16 years old. She is a worshiper of God. She's in high school. She loves Jesus. She's actively been involved in helping lead worship at the church in our village. And God has done so many miracles in that young girl's life. And we are so grateful for her. I'd like to share a few other miracles with you, if that's okay. One is this young man named Edgar. He came to our village about five and a half, six years ago. And he... Uh, uh, when he came, uh, he came from a place called the Romance Center, which is a place where the community has found a short-term solution to get children off the streets of Eldoret, Kenya. The only challenge is that the Romance Center is actually a juvenile detention hall. But most of, most of the children that are placed there haven't committed any crime other than that they're living on the streets of Eldoret. Well... We've, we've worked actively with the Romance Center to get children out of there as quickly as possible, especially the youngest children. And um, Edgar, he was five years old. We found him at the Romance Center, and we tried to find a home in the community to place him, but ultimately he wound up coming to Open Arms Village. And once he came, the first night I was there, I remember, he, uh, they, they were just finishing preparations for dinner, and they handed him a big heaping plate full of food. And he, and he looked at this food and he got a big smile on his face. He said, is this all for me? And they said, yes, yes. And he, he said, I love this place. I love this place. And um, the other thing I forgot to mention about the Romance Center was that uh, because they, um, they get kids off the street temporarily, uh, and the police will come through the community and often they'll, they'll, have, they'll pick up sometimes as many as several hundred street children at a time. But the Romance Center only has 70 beds. So you can do the math and figure out that, that often children will be sharing beds with five, six, or seven other children. And so Edgar, after he had dinner and after he'd met all the other children in, in his new home, he felt sleepy, so Mama Sarah uh, showed him his bedroom and his bed and got him ready for bed. And, and uh, about 20 minutes later, she went to check in on him. See, you know, because, uh, um, and he was curled up in a corner of the bed. And she said, Edgar, why are you curled up in a corner of the bed? And he said, well, I'm waiting for the other five or six children I have to share this bed with. That's all he'd ever know. And Mama Sarah, she smiled and said, Edgar, this is your own bed. You don't have to share it with anybody. Why don't you just stretch out and enjoy your sleep tonight? He gives this great big smile on his face. And he says, I love this place. I love this place. And he's actually uh, getting ready. Uh, I think he's in eighth grade right now, but he's getting ready to enter high school. And he loves Jesus. Uh, the last story I want to share here is Josiah. 
He's the older one in this picture, and he was one of our original children. And he, uh, he came to our village at the age of 11. But when he was six years old, he lost both of his parents to the AIDS virus. And for five years, he survived on the streets of Eldoret, begging during the day and sleeping in a tree at night, because that was the only safe place for him to sleep. And through a miraculous set of circumstances, he found a home in Open Arms Village. And at 11 years old, he had never been to school before. We quickly found out when we enrolled him in our school, school we found out very quickly he was a very, very intelligent young man. And um, about three years ago, three and a half years ago, he, uh, he took the Kenyan, he graduated from high school. He took the Kenyan secondary exam, which is like their SAT exam. Excuse me. And he tested in the top 2% of all Kenyans nationwide. He got five different full-ride scholarship offers. He's actually uh, currently finishing up a degree in computer software engineering at Nairobi University. And he's being interviewed for uh, a number of different jobs right now. He's gone a long way from sleeping in a tree. And we're really proud of Josiah and the miracles. Amen. God has done in his life. Never forget that God still does miracles. But here's a, a rather sobering part of this story. And it occurs right at the beginning of chapter 19. Because the queen of Israel put out an edict that she sent out her emissaries, her soldiers, to pursue Elijah and kill him. And he fled for his own life. And uh, it's a sobering statistic, but sadly true, that Christian persecution and martyrdom is still a very real thing in the world today. And in fact, in the 20th century alone, there were more Christians martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ than in the previous 19 centuries combined. This picture here is a very iconic and sad reminder of that when 19 brave Christians in Egypt uh, were martyred for their faith by ISIS. You know, the Bible does say in John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus actually promised us that we would face persecution, that we would face adverse circumstances in this world. And that's a promise. It's not a cheery promise unless you read the whole verse. In this world, you will face persecution. You will face adverse circumstances, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, in the midst of all the bad news we read about today, could I share a little good news with you? Yeah. This, the, thank you. This story occurred about four years ago. We uh, we do a medical camp, uh, actually two medical camps, in our region of Kenya every every year, and and every year we always set up a prayer tent next to the medical tent. And I, and I remember um, four years ago, we had just opened up this particular medical camp, but I'm not medically trained. I, um, 
But next to the medical camp, we had this prayer tent. I was in the prayer tent with two Kenyan pastors, and I looked around this community, and I asked them, I said, there are a lot of Muslims in this neighborhood. Why, why is that? And they said, well, this is where all uh, of the Somalian refugees in our region of Kenya live. I said, really, how many? And they said, 40,000. I thought, wow, that's a lot. And, and actually, a uh, little known fact maybe, but maybe you know this or not, I don't know. Somalia as a nation is currently ranked the second most unreached, inaccessible nation in the world to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are actually two and a half million Somalians living as refugees or immigrants in Kenya. And what we have in Kenya, we don't have those restrictions. What we have are opportunities. And I, and I remember right after the prayer tent opened up, this gentleman walked in. I found out he was from the Somali community. And for some reason, he walked straight up to me. And uh, I said, sir, would you like to pray with me? And he said, no, I cannot pray with you. I am Muslim. And he turned around and I started walking away. And I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going home. I think he actually expected that we would turn him away and reject him. So I said, well, wait a minute. Did you come here to see the doctor? And he looked at me curious. I smiled. I pointed at the medical tent. And I said, you know, the doctor's right over there. If you really do want to go see him. And at that moment, his whole countenance immediately changed. He, he grabbed my and he started kissing my hand and saying, thank you. Thank you. And, um, you know, he went and saw the doctor. He got treated, got some medicine, went back home. And that is a beautiful story in and of itself. But it doesn't end there. A couple other things happen. First of all, within about an hour or so, I started noticing a lot more families coming through the prayer tent. I started asking some of them and they... Everyone said, well, there's this elder from our community who told us. He told all of his friends. I found out by the end of the day our registration area had already registered 5,000 people. And over half were from the Somali community. But about two hours before we closed that night, this lady and a friend of hers came into the prayer tent. And when I looked at this lady, I noticed you couldn't see the pupils in her eyes. In fact, um, her eyes were completely white, uh, and I've seen this in several of our medical camps in our region because we have no eye surgery clinics in our region of Kenya. This lady had cataracts in her eyes so thick she was probably completely blind. And she and her friend came up to me, and I asked if I could pray with them. They agreed. We prayed. When we got done, this lady opened her eyes, and her eyes were perfectly clear. And, and well, she began to weep, and I began to hyperventilate. And honestly, it took my brain a minute to realize. I mean, my body figured it out right away. My brain, however, it took me a minute to process this. But by the end of the minute, it didn't matter anymore. Because now hundreds and hundreds of Kenyan and Somalian families converged on this prayer tent, begging for prayer. There were other miracles straight out of the book of Acts that occurred that night. But the greatest miracle that occurred 
because it had never happened before. Eight Somali families, one by one, came up to me and these two Kenyan pastors and asked, how do we become Christian? And those two pastors confessed to me at the end of the evening, we never thought about reaching out to our Somali neighbors before today, but it birthed a whole new partnership that is thriving in that community today. Be a good cheer for Jesus has overcome this world. Well, what happened next? Elijah ran into the wilderness, and the wilderness in his region was not a forest. It was a desert. There were no resources, no food, no water. And yet God miraculously provided for Elijah. He fed him miraculously. We read about it, how God provided for him. And maybe some of us are going through some economic challenges right now. You have to take out a second mortgage to fill up your gas tank. You know, there's all kinds of challenges we're facing right now. And we have to be reminded that God loves to miraculously provide and help us. And this is a great reminder. I think I shared this story the last time I shared it at this church about six or seven years ago. So maybe if you were here then, you'll remember the story, but most of you are new. This took place 14 years ago, this picture. I know I haven't changed a bit, but this rooster that my wife Cheryl and I are holding was given to us by a, a lovely Kenyan church. We went into this church. Uh, we were invited just months after we had opened our first children, children's home at our village. And we had 52 acres of property, uh, but we hadn't planted anything. We had a dream someday of becoming a fully self-sustainable village. But we really hadn't done anything with that promise yet. And um, we went to this church, and I walked in, and the room was full of people, but not just people. There were sheep and goats and chickens, and I didn't know what was going on until they took up the offering. And that's when I realized that was the offering. I saw an offering plate going around the room, but there was no money in that offering. There were eggs and vegetables and this gathering group of chickens, goats, and sheep. And this lovely church that had no money absolutely insisted on giving Cheryl and me this rooster. And it was a beautiful gift. We were deeply humbled, but... My limited human mind was also thinking, what in the world are we going to do with a rooster? <laughs> so I, we put him in a cardboard box. We brought him back to the village. I gave him to our, our first house parents, you know, because they had 15 children waiting for dinner. I thought they were going to eat the rooster. They said, oh, no, no, we're not going to eat the rooster. I didn't know this. That very week, they had bought two dozen layer hens and built a chicken coop. They said, you know... For now, let's put the rooster in the hen house and we'll figure out something else later. You know, something did figure itself out. And through unintended consequences, this rooster here became the founder of our entire poultry project. Things began to multiply very quickly. Very quickly. I think in the video earlier, you saw some of his progeny. There we lay hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eggs every single day. And we harvest hundreds and hundreds of chickens every month. 
You know, it inspired dozens of other farming sustainability projects. You know, you know, because of that rooster, we now grow 75% of our own food. And the excess sales from all of our excess uh, produce uh, pays for half of our general operating budget. And, and, and uh, now through a new partnership we have, we, we've already begun to replicate what we've done here to help establish sustainable children's villages in seven other countries throughout the world. And you know the best part about all that is that it started with a rooster from a church in Kenya that literally had no money. But look what God did with what they gave. Never forget that God also provides for us. He cares for us. Even when we think we don't have a penny left, you might have a rooster coming your way. <laughs> well, there was one other part about the story that I think is so important to remember. You know, at, at the end of the story, uh, and by the way, I think you see, uh, uh, oh, we're, we're back at the front for some, no, next slide, sorry, next slide. Uh, this is an iconic picture of some Kenyan runners, actually two Kenyan runners and one Ugandan runner. Uh, Eldred, if you, uh, is interestingly enough known as the running capital of Africa. So where all the premier, middle, and long-distance runners from Africa live and train. And um, um, one thing about this, this picture is it reminds me that we're running a, running a race. Paul describes our journey of faith as a race. And we're all still in it. You know why I know that is because you're all sitting in your chairs upright with your eyes open, most of you anyway. And you're all still alive. The job isn't done for you. The last thing God asked Elijah to do, he asked him to do four things towards the end of his life. But the last thing I think is the most important. He asked him to appoint his successor. Find your replacement. Mentor and reach out to the next generation. You know, um, when I first came to Eugene, uh, in 1989, 1990, I was in my 20s and just starting out in full-time ministry, and there was a 90-year-old gentleman from Eugene who became my best friend. I don't know why. I'm not really sure. I didn't figure it out until much later that he became my mentor. He strategically positioned himself in my life to be my biggest cheerleader. This 90-year-old man, I thought, what is he doing? I didn't realize this uh, until I found out more about him, that he was a missionary evangelist. His name was Hal Herman. And, um, and Hal Herman, in his lifetime, probably preached the gospel to well over a million people, millions of people in his lifetime, all around the world. And he probably led hundreds of thousands of people to Christ. But another thing he did was everywhere he went, he would find a young man and he would mentor that young man. I had the privilege of being one of the hundreds of people that he mentored. And um, in, well into his 90s, he was still preaching and doing missionary evangelistic crusades all around the world. At the age of 99, 
he was planning his next missionary evangelistic crusade at the age of 99. And he told his wife, Mildred, I'm tired. I think I'm going to take a nap. And he woke up in eternity. At that point, his job was done. But at his memorial service, his wife received uh, close to 2,000 letters from across the world. I had the privilege of being one of those people. But some of those names I don't hold a candle to because I recognize some of them. Somebody named David Youngi Cho. Hal Herman, thank you for mentoring me when you came to South Korea. That I became your 18-year-old interpreter for letting me know what it meant to be a man of God with integrity. Another one was from a, another gentleman named Reinhard Balki. Hal Herman, thank you for mentoring me. Thank you for introducing me to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Uh, he actually helped perform Reinhard Balki's wedding ceremony, and they became best friends for the rest of their lives. If you don't know that, those names, that's okay. But know this. Hal Herman preached to millions and introduced hundreds of thousands of people to Jesus Christ. The people he mentored, it is conservatively estimated, led at least 250 million people to Jesus Christ. That is a legacy. Who are you willing to mentor today? Who are you willing to go to and reach out to? Can we uh, just bow our heads in prayer right now and consider the life of Elijah, a man of God who at one point saw God do amazing miracles and yet still felt very isolated and alone. A man of God who was in the desert without food, without water, and God miraculously provided a man of God who still had one thing left to do in his life, to raise up the next generation and mentor the next generation. And God, I pray for all of us today through your Holy Spirit, you would speak to each one of us and help us realize what it is you're asking us to do today by your Holy Spirit. For those of us who feel isolated, discouraged, or alone, Holy Spirit, would you remind us that we're never alone, that you're always with us. For those of us who need a miracle of provision, would you send your roosters, your dollars, whatever it is that that person needs today. And for those of us who need, uh, need to be reminded about what it is you ask, you're asking us to do to help reach the next generation, help us to be a part of that in mentoring young people around us. Lord, thank you, Father. We praise you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, mungu awabariki. God bless all of you. Pastor Brent. Thank you, Matt. Well, I'm going to tell you that it is my dream. When Matt, when Matt emailed me a few months ago, I thought we need to bring a team to East Africa and to serve there at that village. How incredible would that be? It's uh, something that's in my heart, and I believe that we have uh, people that are going to be doing that. 
in the very near future. Um, but right now, what we're going to do as a church is in, invest in Matt, invest in Open Arms International, what, it, what God is doing right now there. Um, we give every week to something called Kingdom Builders. It's our church's initiative to bring the good news of Jesus around our world. And uh, it's sacrificial giving. It's above and beyond our regular tithes and offerings, right? Our regular tithes are, are what we are uh, called to do in obedience. But this is saying, Lord, I want to give above and beyond so that the world would know the good news that we have. So right now, we're going to give to that Kingdom Builders initiative. And everything we give today is going to go to the Tallman's and Open Arms International, right? So we have uh, three different ways you can give. We've got, thank you. You know how to read my mind, Brian. Thank you, my good man. We've got this box right here that you can drop your gift in. Um, there are envelopes in the seat backs in front of you that say Kingdom Builders. You can put cash or check in there. Or you can give online at nlcchurch.com slash give. Or you can text to give by texting the word kingdom in the body of your text. Kingdom and the dollar amount you want to give. And you text that to the phone number 84321. That's the phone number you text it to, and you can do text to give in that way, all right? So as we give, I'm going to have our team that's going to lead us in this song come up. Um, I think it's very ironic that uh, Matt just, I don't know if that's ironic, maybe it was uh, ordained, but uh, Matt was just talking about finishing the race, and the theme verse for VBS this this uh, this last year was from 2 Timothy that says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And so we're going to sing this song together. So as we give, um, you can come up and put your gift in the offering or digitally give. But we're all going to stand and we're going to sing this together. And I expect to see every single person do the motions. All right. There are very important motions that are in part of this song. So everybody get limbered up, get ready to go, because here come the motions. Let's sing together.
Nice job. <laughs> that was fun. I hope you guys are ready for even more fun. I love our church. Not only... Out of breath after that. Not only do you guys love well, but you guys celebrate well. So today we get to celebrate all the things. We get to celebrate our church family, and we're going to have a lot of fun. So I'm going to give you a tiny bit of instruction, and then I'm going to pray for lunch. So instruction is this. Our food is over this way. You're going to go out any of the doors, but head that way. <laughs> the doors are labeled. One says exit only. One says Entrance only. If you go in the wrong door, you're going to end up at the wrong end of the table. And people are going to look at you like, what's wrong with you? So you're going to want to go in the fireside room, which is the furthest door. Don't go all the way outside, but the door right before. Um, you're going to go in, grab your plates and your silverware, get your food. There are four lines, so either side of the tables. And they're pretty much... The same things on either side of those tables. Their team has done an amazing job this morning. So get your food. You can eat outside. There's tables and chairs and canopies. There's a big overhang. So there's lots of shade out there. Um, if you can't handle it, can't take the heat, you can always come inside, sit in the cafe. You could even come in here. So a um, couple instructions for the water inflatables. Parents. You need to supervise your own kids today. I have zero staff. We have security to make sure our premises uh, stay safe for everyone. And we will have a few of our leaders meandering and, and uh, helping. But parents, you are the ones in charge of your own kids. So there's a couple rules on those inflatables. They are um, water. So your kids will be getting wet. <laughs> And so we're our leaders because they're doing the dunk tank. So there's going to be tons of yard games out there. There's Yard Z and uh, Connect Four, and you could have a cornhole tournament out there. There's all kinds of fun activities. There's a dunk tank, which a lot of our leaders from Mega Sports Camp are getting dunked. So you can line up and get some throws in and hopefully get them wet. I'm sure they'd love that. Nate's going first. So head coach Nate is getting wet today. Um, but the inflatables, kids are not allowed to wear shoes, so they need to take their shoes off and they can set them on the tarps on all sides of the inflatables. And then nothing in their pockets, so nothing sharp, no glasses, no pen.